0: hearts we open up our minds and we want to be ready to receive your word today and so pray that you would make our hearts ready you would make our minds ready God just drop in wisdom and insight Lord we give you these next few moments Uh, we give you our attention we are open to what your Holy Spirit wants to do we pray this in Jesus name amen you may be seated good morning it's good to see you guys today and uh we are going to finish up our series that we've been in called TikTok. I've uh, been talking about time, been talking about God's timing, and uh, we're going to finish that up today. Now, um, I just want to ask you a question: What can you do with twelve seconds? What can you do with twelve seconds? Not a whole lot, right? Uh, and I want to get—I want to give you just a chance. I think we had—do we have a countdown? I think we got a countdown clock. So I'm going to give you twelve seconds do something. I like it. (laughs) All right, yeah. You can give God praise in 12 seconds, right? You can actually give God praise in less time than that, but when you start looking at it, 12 seconds isn't a whole lot of time, right? 12 seconds isn't a lot of time to get much done uh, when you start looking at all the things that you have to do during the day, right? Washing clothes, you know, preparing meals, uh, maybe you have, you know, even your commute to work is longer than 12 seconds, right? Even when I lived back here in this uh, in the parsonage, my commute was longer than 12 seconds. Okay, so because I walked really slow, but uh, but no, it's 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 when you start thinking about 12 seconds, you start thinking about time, and we've been talking about time. And you think about 12 seconds, what can happen in 12 seconds? Actually, a lot can happen in 12 seconds. There's a thing called the 12-second rule, and this is what the 12-second rule is. And this was uh, just recommendations to to drivers that every driver needs to be able to see what is in front of him to the sides and in the rear. Being able to see everything clearly helps drivers avoid any last-second maneuvers. And this is why it is recommended that drivers look ahead 12 seconds while driving in the city and 12 to 15 seconds on the highway. In the city, 12 seconds is about one city block, all right? And when you're out driving just on, on, on the road, it's about a quarter mile. So when you're thinking about 12 seconds, what can, twel- what can happen in 12 seconds? In 12 seconds, you can go about a city block. In 12 seconds, you can go about a quarter mile approximately. Now, when you're thinking about this and you're thinking about uh, just accidents that happen. Now, me and Raina, we were rear-ended this past week uh, while we were sitting at a, re- a red light. Uh, we were sitting there talking, and, and about that time, the car just shoved forward violently. And I just kind of looked at each other like, what just happened, right? And uh, and this this little girl behind us had had rear-ended us. And so we pulled over and got to talking. She started crying. I said, listen, it's going to be all right. It's okay. You know, I've been there, done that. You know, but we understand that a lot can happen in 12 seconds when you're not paying attention, right? When when you're on the road, and so there's there's a lot of uh, police officers, and there's a lot of state patrol officers who are out on the road this weekend, right? Because it's a holiday weekend, so they're kind of they're out in force. And I, I noticed yesterday that we had some folks pulled over, and it's the law in Georgia. You got to get over into the other lane when there's when you see uh, someone's stopped, uh, got a traffic stop ahead, and so you, you need to pull over into the other lane. And so when you're looking down the road and you're looking ahead at where you're going. You can make good decisions, but it's those last-minute decisions when you're not paying attention. Um I saw a guy yesterday we were on the interstate coming coming back from Raina's mom's house you know and uh I was I was uh right around that speed limit and then this car come flying by me and as I kind of looked over I saw the guy in the passenger seat and he was texting and I saw his uh whoever it was he was riding with the girl was also texting that was driving and I thought that's scary right because they're just flying down the road and you don't know what can happen because you're not paying attention you know you're you're operating this vehicle, so we understand that. We can understand that some bad things can happen in a short amount of time if you have ever dealt with firearms, right? How many of you guys have ever dealt with firearms, right? So you understand that bad things can happen really quick if you're not paying attention to what's going on. And so um, when when we start talking about this 12-second rule, we ask that question, what can happen in 12 seconds? Actually, a lot can happen in 12 seconds. A lot can happen in two seconds when you're making a decision to pay attention or you're making a decision to be distracted. When you make that decision to be distracted, there can be a cascade of events that happen from that one decision, right? It takes that long to make a bad decision that can ripple out and create other bad things that happen. We understand that. We know that. Um, and so that's what the 12-second rule is about, to be able to look up And be aware of your surroundings, knowing what's going on. I want to quote a very wise young man that once said this. Life moves pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. Ferris Bueller, all right? Anybody remember Ferris Bueller? All right. But yeah, I mean, it's true, right? I mean, life moves fast. It moves, especially moves fast today in our, in, our, in our world. Things are going quickly. And if we don't stop and take stock of where we're at, what's going on, we may miss something. We may miss something important. We may miss an opportunity. And we've been talking about this. We've been talking about this in the sense of time. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. When we measure time, we measure by minutes and we measure by moments. And we talked about the difference between Kronos and kairos, that these two Greek words uh, talked... Uh represent time but they represent time in two totally different ways uh, one counts the minutes the other counts the moments the one is about a timeline of hey this has happened here, this has happened here this has happened here, this is what I need to do next there's a timeline of things going on that's chronology you know. but then we started talking about kairos where it's those significant moments those significant moments like the birth of your child when you got married, the moment you met your spouse You know, those are those Pivotal moments that you begin to look back on and say, yes, that was more than just chronology. That was a Kairos moment, right? And so we've been talking about that, and we're going to finish that up today. So our questions today are this. Are you looking around? Are you aware? Are you looking down the road? Do you have the ability to look down the road for significant moments? Are you doing that? And, And what does that look like for you? So our first statement today that I want to give you is this, playing the long game, and when we're talking about not just what's happening right now, but being able to look down the road, when you play the long game, playing the long game starts with a mindset, and this is the mindset, it's all from God, and it's all for God. we got to have that mindset. When it comes to time, when it comes to what we have uh, been given, the time that we're given, it's all from God, right? I don't make time happen for myself. I can't make up time. We've talked about that, right? We only have a certain amount. It's a fixed thing. God gives it. He says, this is it. This is, this is the parameters of your life. And, and remember, when we looked at Psalm 90, what did Moses uh, pray? He prayed, God, teach me to number my days aright. Teach me to number my days correctly so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. So if we're wise about the time that we have, we're going to acknowledge this truth that it's all from God. And the other part of that truth is that it's all got to be for God, that everything that I get, all the time that I get is from God, but using that time for God. So, God, what do you want me to do with this time that I have? And I want us to go to a very interesting book. I, I'm not sure that I have pre- preached much out of this book. We're going to go to the book of Esther today, Esther. And Esther is, um, is an interesting book. It, it, it's got a it's a, it's a, it's a book of the Bible that's got a lot of insight on looking at time and significant moments. Um, And I'll just be honest with you, uh, Esther is a book that um, it has some difficulties for me. There there are some things that are tough to think about uh, when you think about Esther's situation, what she had to go through, everything that goes on through that. I just want to acknowledge that. It's not a nice, pretty story in a lot of ways. I know sometimes uh, it tries to get romanticized, but when you look at it, there's a lot of things that happen in this story. I just it makes me uncomfortable, and I think, God, what what's going on here? And so we've talked about this before. We said that um, just because something is talked about in the Bible doesn't mean that it's a prescription. It doesn't mean that God is prescribing this for everyone. It may just be describing what has happened, it may be describing an event, it may be describing a situation. And I think that's what this is: is that it's describing a situation that people were thrust into, because the children of Israel at this time were put into exile, and so this is why this is why they were not in their own land. Uh, they had been shipped off to other lands, they had been exiled to other places and uh, other kingdoms were ruling over them, other kings were ruling over them at this time, and they really struggled to have their own sense of identity as a nation. And so Esther is part of the story of the exile. Esther and her family are living in exile. Now, what you're going to find out is that Esther is, um, she is an orphan. Basically, her her mom and dad uh, are no longer in the picture. They have died. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Amen. He's excited to be here, and I hope you are excited, as excited as that. Amen. But, but her mom and dad are, are no longer in the, in the story here. And so let us pick up. bother me all right so let's go uh to esther chapter 2 beginning in verse 8 esther chapter 2 beginning in verse 8 and so when the kings order an edict and i'll just give me a little get a a little bit of context here about what's happening um esther is an orphan girl she doesn't have parents and so she's taken in by a, a relative his name is mordecai and um, it's, there's some question about the relationship there, what, how, how is he related to her? But for the most part, people think that he is her uncle. And so she goes to live with, uh, we're just going to call him Uncle Mordecai. And Uncle Mordecai has charge over her. Well, they're living in, um, they're living in Persia. They're living under the Persian Empire rule. And uh, there is this king called um, a house a, a a houseress. I'm going to call him Xerxes, all right, because Xerxes is a lot cooler to me. But he gets called, and maybe in different translation, he, he gets called different things. But um, I'm calling call him Xerxes. So King Xerxes is basically the ruler here. And he makes this edict. Um, so he gets upset with his... His current wife Vashti, uh, that basically Vashti makes him look bad in front of his officials. Uh, he wants her to come into the court and basically come and be like the trophy wife, "Hey, I want you to come, I want to show you off and you know what she said? She said, "No, I'm not coming, anybody, come on, guys." You ever got that, right, you know, uh, where he watches. just said, no, I'm not doing that. Vashti looked at King Xerxes and says, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to your party. I'm not hanging out with your crew. And so he gets angry. He gets mad and basically says, you're no longer going to be my queen. I'm going to find a new queen. And so there's this edict that goes out across the land, and there's a search for this new queen. And... It's kind of a rough story because um, his people go out and they begin to find these girls that are going to become part of the king's harem. And you know what? You say, well, how can that be part of God's plan? Once again, that is not God prescribing, hey, this is the way it should be. I think this is describing the way it happened, okay? And so this is that part of the story. I just don't like it. Right. But but his officials go out and they select these girls to come be part of the king's harem. And they're going to spend one year beautifying themselves. And they're going to go through uh, a six month treatment of uh, beautification uh, in one way. And then the next six months, they're going to do something else to just make sure that when they come to be presented before the king, they have had one year. Of beautification, come on ladies let me how many of you would want one year to get ready for that that date right uh, and so um, this is what 's happening. this is where we 're picking up on the story and so esther uh, chapter two verse eight And it says, so when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed and when many young women were gathered in Susa, and that was the capital of the Persian kingdom, Susa, um, the citadel in in the custody of Hegai, Esther also taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, uh, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won, and the young woman pleased him and won his favor. Esther was pleasing to him and won his favor and he quickly provided her with uh, her cosmetics and a portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king 's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem now this is this is it she 's put in this Basically, this this whole uh, it's, it's almost like um, you know what's what's the one where they give you the rose? I'm trying to think, um, the Bachelorette. Okay, it's like the Bachelorette. Okay, uh, who's going to get the rose? Right? Who's going to become the queen? And they've got an entire year of this to get ready for this. And this guy that's in charge of her, basically, Esther catches his eye, and and he's like, hey, there's something about this girl, and I I want to make sure she has everything she needs to succeed and so we already see that God is working in this instance sometimes our situation may not be great sometimes our situation we may say God why am I here you know sometimes God why did you let this happen anybody you ever been there and we say God why did you let this happen and we think God you don't care about me God you're not worried about me God maybe you don't even exist But God is there and God cares about Esther. And so even in this bad situation that she's in where she's lost her parents and now she's taken from her uncle and she's thrust into this harem of the king, uh, God is with her. And so we see the story begin to tick along. And let's go down to verse 21. Verse 21, so Mordecai, Mordecai begins to hang out around the king's gates, and he begins to hang out around the king's palace to just try to keep an eye. He wants to stay close uh, so he can see, hey, what's going on with Esther? Uh, He is not just this uncle who says, well, she's gone, so good luck, Esther. Maybe I'll see you again someday. Uh, no, he's hanging out. He's interested. He's invested in what's going on with her. And so he's hanging out at the king's gates, at the, at the palace gates, and he's wanting to see if he can see what's going on. And so this is where we pick up in Esther chapter 2, beginning of verse 21. Uh, and it says now, or verse 19, it says, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not, uh, had not made known her kindred or her people. So uh, they didn't know that Esther was Jewish, okay? They didn't know uh, that she was, she was a Jewish person, and so she kept this hidden. So Esther had not made known her kindred or her people. As Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. And in those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthon, that's a great name. I like that name. Come on, somebody, Bigthon. And I, I, I used to, and this has nothing to do with Esther, but when I was in college, I had some roommates, and uh, we had this one guy that lived with us. We called him Big Al. And Big Al was the smallest person in the entire apartment. He was a little skinny guy, you know, but we called him Big Al. I kind of wonder that about Big you know, as we see the little skinny guy, you know. But anyways, that's got no, like I said, that's got nothing to do with Esther. But Big Fin and yeah, that's my, my rabbit troll moment. Big Thin and Terish, uh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. So you know what? Esther has already, uh, she has made this impact. She is in this place. She's in this palace now for a reason. Um, And you begin to wonder, why am I here? What am I doing here? But now she has access to the king. She has access to the king, and so Mordecai overhears this plot to harm the king and to kill the king, to assassinate him. And Mordecai says, hey, Esther, this is what's going on. You need to tell the king, which I find interesting that Mordecai, not only, Mordecai now is looking out for the well-being of people who are around him. He was one who stepped up, who said Esther doesn't have any parents. She doesn't have anybody to take care of her. I'm that guy. I, I'll step up, and I'll take care of Esther. And now he's still invested in Esther's situation because he's hanging out and now he gets this information and it and it kind of impresses upon me that this kind of person that Mordecai is, because Mordecai could have just kept this information to himself and said, Let the king get what's coming to him. Let the king let the king, you know, get that assassination attempt, you know. I mean, he's he took my he took my, my niece from me, right? And so let's just see what happens with this assa- But he doesn't. And I think he understands authority, and so he says, Listen. Go tell the king this is the plot, and so it goes to the king that uh, this plot is is, is brought about. It's, it comes to it comes to light, and Bigfin and Tarish, uh, they're taken and they're killed. They're they're executed, right? And you would think that this was a good thing, that the king would be like, Mordecai, you the man, you know, come uh, come have a place in my kingdom, come have a place in my court. I'm going to set you up in a penthouse. I'm going to give you an expense account. I mean, if you think that was that would be the right thing for the king to do, right? You know what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Have you been there? Have you been there where you've done something great? You've done something that's like, well, that was pretty good, yeah. Like you're kind of patting yourself on the back and you're thinking, man, somebody needs to recognize this. Somebody needs to see what I've done. And nobody does. Nobody recognizes anything that you've done, and nothing is said, and everything just rocks along. Has anybody ever been there? Is that tough to swallow? Right? And can you imagine? So this is Mordecai. He's 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 there. And so I thought about this and 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 this is what I thought it said when our promotion is delayed, we can feel discouraged or even discarded. When our promotion is delayed, where's my reward at? When, god this listen I, I I'm your person i i am I am stepped up for esther god and and now I've stepped up for the king. Lord, where's my promotion king where's my promotion? where's my reward? And so sometimes when we're overlooked and our promotion seems delayed, we can feel discouraged. We can even feel discarded. This is what Mark Batterson says. He's a pastor in, in uh, Washington, D.C. This is what he said about the story. He says, sometimes, uh, sometimes there is a, del- a time-delayed blessing, a time-delayed miracle, a time-delayed answer. In fact, I would even go so far as to say sometimes the answer is, isn't one that we discover this side of the space-time continuum. Sometimes it is going to be something that only gets rewarded in heaven, and I'm okay with that because that is the goal, right? What a perspective. What a perspective that sometimes, you know what, we get passed over. Sometimes we get overlooked. You know what he's saying? It's all right. I believe that God sees it, and ultimately God is going to have an account of this, and it's going to come back around. And so for us, I think this is a a point in the story where we have to look and say, what does Mordecai do with this? I think Mordecai is looking and he's saying, I've got a long-range vision. I've got a long-range plan. He's got a 12-second rule, basically. He's looking down the road and saying, it's all right. I'm looking down the road. God, you're here with me. You're here with us. And I'm just going to let it rock along. And so do you know what happens? The story progresses, and you don't see this. You don't pick up on this unless you're really paying attention in the story. The story goes along, and it kind of progresses about five years down the road. So five years passes, and you come to uh, the next part of the story, really, in Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3, there's a guy who is introduced to us, and his name is Haman. And Haman is a guy who has, uh, he's ambitious, right? Right? And he wants to be part of the king 's court he wants to be the king 's right hand man he wants the wealth, the fame he wants he wants it all right he wants the penthouse he wants everything that comes with it he wants he 's power hungry and so Mordecai has an experience with uh, with him and so if we look at Esther chapter three, beginning in verse five, Esther chapter three beginning in verse 5, and this is what it says. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down, so basically Haman had this power in the kingdom of King Xerxes, and he, he says, I, when you see me coming, I want you to bow down and pay homage to me. And Mordecai says, basically is saying, I can't do this. You kind of get shades of Daniel. Remember Daniel and the three Hebrew boys when the, the, the idol was built, and the king said, I want you to bow down to this idol, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? They said, we can't bow down to that idol. This is that same kind of thing where he says, I can't bow down and pay homage to you. I believe in God and I pay homage to God and that's the only one that I'm going to worship. I'm not going to worship you, Haman. And so, so this is what's going on. And so in verse 5 it says, and when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury and he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. And so as they, uh, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, so basically it, was, it, came, it came to light that Mordecai was Jewish. And so not only did Haman begin to hate Mordecai, he began to hate Mordecai's people. And it became known, uh, the people of Mordecai, and Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the entire kingdom of Xerxes. And And I thought about that, and I think sometimes that there's this problem that we have in, in, in our nation, that sometimes we allow one experience to color our picture of an entire group of people, right? And I think that we've got to be careful with that, that you don't allow one experience with one person to color your picture of an entire group of people, right? I think that's something that we can take from this account that Haman not only hated Mordecai, he started hating all the Jews, And for us as believers, we have to be people who say, you know what, that might be an experience that I have with someone. It's all right. I'm not going to let that influence my entire view of everyone, entire view of an entire group of people. And so when we come to Esther chapter 4, as we move along in this story, there's this plan that Haman, he's he's hatched up. He says, listen, not only do I want to kill Mordecai, I want to kill all the Jews in the land. I'm going to take them out. I don't like them. I don't want them here. They they're really not part of part of our kingdom, uh, and they shouldn't be part of our kingdom. And he goes to the king, and he actually gets the king to uh, buy into this plan. And the king doesn't really remember Mordecai. He doesn't remember Mordecai. He doesn't remember what's what's happened. That Mordecai is the one who who told about this plot and so he's thinking the king actually signs off on it says yes let's do this these people are not part of our kingdom and so let's just get rid of them and so they they declare a day there's going to be a day that they're going to do this it's going to be open season on all the jews it's basically like they're going to have their own time where it's going to be, you know what? You can go and kill all, any Jew that you find, uh, whether it be man, woman, or child. You can kill them, and it's going to be covered. It'll be okay because the king has set this order on this one day. And, and this is the, the plan that has been hatched. And so, and so Mordecai hears about this. And he's cut to the heart, man. He's just like, what is going on? And the word gets out, and all the Jewish people in the land, they become just terrified of what's about to happen. And so Mordecai, he goes to Queen Esther. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Basically Esther's she's finding out about the plot and she says, listen, I can't just go into the king's court. If you just enter the king's court, if he hasn't called you, you can be put to death. And so if you come up into the king's court and he does, he's got a scepter and a scepter is basically the staff and if he doesn't take that staff and point it at you, that basically means you're going to die. If you come into the king's court without being called, and he doesn't point his scepter at you and give you access. Basically, that was a death penalty. She tells them this. She says, look, I just can't go into the king's court uh, any old time. I have to be called. And this is, this is what Mordecai, this was his response in, 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 in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You see this? That that Mordecai is basically framing this thing for Esther and says, Listen, we probably have these questions. Why has all this happened to you, Esther? Why has everything happened to you the way it's happened to you? Maybe God has brought you to this moment for this one moment, this one kairos moment, this one moment where this is it. This is your time. This is your chance. What can happen in 12 seconds, guys? A lot can happen in 12 seconds because Esther takes those few minutes that she has and she makes a decision. She makes a decision to go to the king's court. and She says, I'll do it. I'm going to go to the king's court. I'm going to risk my life. And, and I think when you look at this, this is, this is what we can, we, can, we can pull from this. Redeeming the time is the ability. You've heard me say this before. Redeeming the time is the ability to discern the difference between coincidence and providence. Redeeming the time is the difference between coincidence and providence. And what Mordecai was saying was this. He's like, hey, Listen. This is not just a coincidence that you're here. This is providence that you're here. This is God's plan that you are here for a reason. Guys, there are times when God gives us power and God gives us influence. And that, that power and influence that we have, it's not static. It's not neutral. It's either going to be waged uh, on us, for us, or for someone else. It it can either be uh, misused or managed. Every one of us in here, we have some amount of power. We have some amount of influence. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You can abuse it. You can misuse it. Or you can say, God's given me this power, whatever it is, whatever influence you have, God's given me this for a reason. God I want to manage it for your glory I want to manage it for your kingdom I want to use it for someone else and so that's the story right here of Esther that we find and that's what Mordecai is saying he says is for such a time as this this Kairos moment that you have this moment God has given you access to the king now it requires your action Esther and for us that's it many of us we have access to God will give us access, but it requires our action to step forward and say, all right, God, I'll do what I need to do. I will step forward and and step in and use this moment and use these minutes for your purpose, for your kingdom. That's what Esther does. She steps in and is able to help save the Jewish people. Now, what I love is this, and I'm going to ask somebody to come play because I'm going to wrap this up real quick. If you go to Esther chapter 6, and I know we've we've done like six chapters in about 20 minutes and we've flown through this thing, but I, I love this because we come to this moment in the story. We come to this moment in the story, and remember, what did Mordecai do? Didn't he basically save the king's life? How long has, has transpired? About five years, right? And so... King doesn't know who Mordecai is. I love this part of the story. Chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. On that night, the night before this edict was supposed to happen, that the night before they were going to execute Mordecai. On that night, the king could not sleep. And somebody has called this before divine insomnia. Anybody ever had divine insomnia? think that's what this is right here divine insomnia and says on that night the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds doesn't that sound like a great book? the book of memorable deeds basically it's the chronicles of all the good things that have happened when something has happened good they were writing it down the book of memorable deeds the chronicles and they were to read it before the king. Now you got to understand. I think this is how the king counted sheep in Persia. Okay, that's. They, they, he he said, "Read me the most boring book you can read me." Okay, I want you to come read this book to me. And so as he, they are reading out these stories and these this this book to him. It says, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bixana and Teresh two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, What honor, honor or distinction has been dis- bespo- dis- bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? And now Haman had just entered Man, the king wants to honor me. Who, do I, who who's honor more than me? And so for the man who the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden on, and, 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 and let it set a crown on his head, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the king delights in honor. And let them lead on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And then the king said to Haman, Hurry and take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai. Don't you think that Haman was mortified for what he had to do to Mordecai, right? You talk about the tables being flipped and everything being turned upside down in about that quick, right? In about 12 seconds, everything that Haman thought that he was going to get. Man, I'm going to get a robe. I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to get a horse. No, you're going to go do that for Mordecai. And I I just began to think, you know, that sometimes the things the enemy tries to beat us up with, God will turn around and make the enemy bless you with. Sometimes what our enemy wants to beat us up with is what God is going to turn around and say, no, not to my child, not to my son, not to my daughter. They belong to me. You're not going to beat them. You're going to bless them. You're going to give them everything that's coming to them. You're going to give them everything that I want for them. And I love this story because they Mordecai and Esther trusted God. And God stepped in in his timing. The night before the execution, to flip the tables and not only bless Mordecai, but the story goes on, and you can go read it for yourself, that the plot to uh, to to have uh, this plot that Haman has, has brought out comes to light to the king. And the king actually has uh, Haman executed on the, the spike that he had built for Mordecai. Now I want you to stand with me. The last thing I wrote down here was this: Some opportunities look like obstacles at the beginning. Some opportunities will look like obstacles at the beginning, but when you trust God and you trust God's timing, you say, "God, I know. I I, I know. I mean, I'd really love to have this right now, God. I'd love for you to step in and give me this what I want right now. But I'm going to trust you, whether it's five minutes." Five days, five months, five years, 50 years. Whatever that looks like. When we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that this with this thing looks like an obstacle for me, but I'm going to believe that you're going to turn it around and make it an opportunity for me somehow, somewhere. I'm going to trust you. How many of us would say, I, I want to be like that? I, I want to be able to look at those obstacles in my path As opportunities for God to turn it around. For God to bring about a breakthrough. For me to trust God to do the miraculous. No matter how long it takes. God, I'm going to trust you to be God. And I'm going to be your servant. Is that your prayer? So Lord, that's what we pray right now with heads bowed. Whatever obstacles we face. Whatever enemy has stepped in front of us. And whatever weapon they have to try to beat us up with. Lord, I trust you. I trust your